following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. All right, if you would, meet me in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. Let's jump into the Word of God together. This is what I'm talking about today, an unpredictable path to His promise. An unpredictable path to His promise. Exodus chapter 13 says it this way. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Now there are a number of adjectives that I could use to describe the nature and the character of God. Lots of adjectives, but for our time today, I want to use an adjective that uh, is extremely important. It's also extremely unsettling, and that is that God is unpredictable. Now, let me just say this. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying or read what I'm not writing. I'm not saying his character is inconsistent at all. He is consistently consistent. He is reliably reliable. He never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was a way maker. He is a way maker. He will be a way maker. He was a door opener. He is a door opener. He will be a door opener. He was a healer. He is a healer. He will be a healer. Corona is unpredictable. God is certain. God is consistent. The, the economy is uncertain. God's certain. God's consistent. The only reason we're here today is because God is consistent. So I'm not saying... I'm not saying that his character is inconsistent, but what I am saying is that his activity is unpredictable. So we can predict who he will be. We cannot always predict what he will do. When we look in the Bible, we see, especially in the New Testament, people had situations or, or problems, and Jesus responded immediately. And then there were other times, like in John 11, where one of Jesus' closest friends, Lazarus, gets sick. And Jesus does not respond immediately. He delays himself intentionally. Now I'm going to wait a few days. I'm going to wait before I go. I'm going to wait a few days before I go see Lazarus. Because Jesus knew that the Sadducees believed the spirit of a man left after three days. So I'm going to wait till day four. So the Sadducees will know undeniably I did a miracle in Lazarus' life. See, you can predict who he'll be. You cannot always predict what he'll do. There are instances where Jesus healed people by just touching them. And then there's another instance in Mark chapter 5 where somebody was healed by touching the hem of him. Like she didn't even touch him. She just touched what was touching him. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. There's times where Jesus spoke a word and people were healed. There's another instance where he spit in the dirt, made mud, caked mud in the guy's eyes, and he became healed. And then there's other instances like the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God! You're not going to change that? No, I'm not going to change that. But God, the devil sent it. I know the devil sent it, but I kind of like it, so I'm going to leave it. 
But God, things have never been worse. Yeah, but spiritually, they've never been better. God, I've never been in this much pain. Yeah, but you've never been in this much prayer. So I'm going to allow this to stay in your life for a season, but I'm going to give you the grace to endure it. There's no inconsistency in his character, but there is unpredictability in his activity. And so life will be full of surprises. And I'm not trying to make this unnerving or unsettling for those of you who, like me, like it when it's predictable. Because God is a God of disruption. He just disrupts things. That's just, he's, he loves to disrupt our routines. And so if we want to be used by God, we have to get comfortable with disruption. Let me say that again. If we want to be used by God, we have to become comfortable with disruption because God is famous for doing so. You'll be minding your own business, tending to sheep. The next thing you know, God's setting a bush on fire wanting to talk to you. And you didn't want to go back to Egypt. You swore you would never go back to Egypt. And all of a sudden, God is telling you, hey, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And Moses, I know you said you would never go back. You had plans for your life. But I'm going to disrupt those plans. I'm going to send you back to the place you said you'd never go back to. God's famous for disrupting things. And so God and life are full of surprises. And this means that people who live well must be willing to relinquish that, which (laughs) a lot of our culture is addicted to, holding on to, and that is control. And I'm asking you today to let go of something that you don't even have. You don't have control. You have the illusion of control. So I'm asking you to relinquish the illusion of something for peace's sake. Because you're trying to hold on to control. And you have influence, but you don't have control. You have responsibility, but you don't have control. Control belongs to the sovereign Lord. And anytime you try to take on the weight of control, you're trying to take on God weight. And that is a weight you were never intended or conditioned to carry. So here's my question. Here's the question, especially to those in the room who are followers of the person and the principles of Jesus. Is do you only trust God with your past or do you trust him with your future? If I trust him with my future, I have to wrap my head around and, my ex- and experience for myself what we're studying in Exodus 13. I have to do that. My opening text teaches us how to manage these surprise seasons. So the book of Exodus is, is all about the Exodus, the Israelites' Exodus out of Egypt into a promised land. And, it, and we get a sense of where God's taken us, but at the same time, we don't know how he's going to get us there. Remember, this text is fulfilling a promise that God made to Moses in private. Hey, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, and you're going to take your people, the Israelites, you're going to go tell Pharaoh to let them go. And Pharaoh's going to let them go, and you're going to take them from Egypt to a land that I'm promising to you. It is called the promised land. It's a land inhabited by Canaan's, Canaanites. It's Canaan land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I want you to take them from Egypt to the promised land. The only two destinations in the conversation were Egypt to the promised land. Moses, I want you to take them to Egypt to the promised land. From Egypt to the promised land. The only two destinations in the conversation, Egypt to the promised land. And so Moses takes that conversation from God, goes back to the Israelites, and God is going to take us from Egypt to the promised land. I don't know that's how he talked. That's how I think he talked. And so they're excited, they're high-fiving each other, they're screaming, they're pumped. And just as God is making good on his promise, the Bible says when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. 
For God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Wait a minute, Lord. You said we were going from Egypt to the promised land. From Egypt to the promised land. You didn't talk about this other route here. No, no, no. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. A lot of us assume that the path to the promise is short. And it's a straight path. And that's not necessarily true. God said, no, 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 even though that's shorter, I can't lead you this way because if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Don't miss this. God knows the battles that you're going to face. And he says, I could take you the shorter path, but there's some adversity on that path that you're not ready for. And if you face that adversity... It would, def- it would defeat you. In fact, it, it would have it hurt them physically. It could hurt you spiritually. It could hurt you emotionally. So I'm going to take you a little bit longer route. I'm not taking you the short way. I'm taking you the long way because I know what you can handle. God knows what battles we're ready to fight. They were ready to get out of Egypt. They were ready to get to Canaan. But they were not ready to deal with the adversity that a short path required. I don't know who I'm talking to, but there's somebody in here that feels like you're experiencing a divine delay. And I'm telling you, it's not denial from God, it's just a delay from God because it says you're ready, but you're not ready for this. Like, I know what you need, I'm going to get you the right place at the right time. You can be ready for the promotion, but not be ready for pressure. You can be ready for elevation and and, and not be ready for, for all the haters that are going to come with that. You can be ready for responsibility and not be ready to be light. I want somebody just to pause right now and praise God for all the doors that he has closed in your life. I know we love to praise him for the open doors, but come on, God, thank you for closing the doors that I wasn't ready to walk through because if I would have walked through those doors, it would have been disastrous for me. He says, if they face war, they might change their mind and return to Egypt. And look at verse 18. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Some versions of scripture like this one say it's, it's desert. It's this desert road. Some of your translations say the word wilderness. So this is a def- destination that God left out of the conversation. There were two destinations in the original conversation. Egypt, promised land. Egypt, promised land. You didn't say anything about desert or wilderness. Right? This means God, are you ready for this? This means God intentionally withheld information, intentionally withheld information from Israel as they were departing Egypt. I want to make sure you heard what I just said. It means God intentionally withheld information from them until they were too far into it. So he gets them out of Egypt, and they're pretty far, and they thought about going back. They talked about going back. I can't go back. I'm too far from Egypt. I can't go back. And that's when God said, oh, yeah, by the way. I got a little longer route than what you had anticipated. We're going to go around this way. But I had to get you, you've got to relate this to your own life. Listen to me, church. I love that this camera's really trying hard to follow me. (laughs) Sometimes, God's not going to give you all the information. He's going to withhold information. And it feels like he's not being fair to you, but he's like, listen, if I told you everything you were saying yes to, There might not be a yes before we get started. So sometimes I'm going to let you get out of Egypt. I'm going to get you a little further away from your starting point. And then I'm going to reveal things to you that I was intentionally withholding. 
Because if I told you everything up front in the beginning, you would have never left your starting point. And so sometimes God does that. And he takes you through a wilderness, which sounds negative, but it's actually necessary. He's preparing them. He takes you through these uninformed detours because he's trying to prepare you. Is there anybody who can look back on their life and say, you know what, there was a time in my life when I was going through it and I was in the midst of it. I had blinders on. It looked awful. There was nothing positive at all that could come from that. But now on the other side of that, I can see how God was using me, how he was molding me, how he was developing me, how he was preparing me. And I wouldn't be where I am right now had God not helped me back then. I just want to pause for the cause and tell somebody that God is not only your Savior, He is your teacher, and He is taking you to school, and He is teaching you something. So sit back, enjoy the lesson, because here comes your blessing. Come on, somebody. Give God some praise today. (laughs) He's teaching you. He's trying to prepare you. So God sets them in the wilderness, this desert, this place of preparation. And whenever there's preparation, there's also pruning. And pruning doesn't ever feel good. In fact, this is how Jesus would say it. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, okay? That sounds kind of backwards. It's bearing fruit. But he goes, I'm going to prune it. Well, pruning is cutting. That hurts. But I'm going to do it so you're more fruitful. So even if you're bearing fruit, he goes, I'm going to keep cutting you, pruning you until you're more fruitful. And when I look at Israel's experience in the wilderness, I see that in them. First of all, he's pruning a few things. The first thing is he's pruning issues. He's pruning issues. The wilderness is kind of like an airport hub where certain things get dropped off. You can't take all of that to the final destination. And he goes, I've got a new season for you. But you can't take old issues into new seasons or they're going to be old seasons. And so I need you to leave this. Sometimes the enemy is not the enemy. Sometimes the enemy is the inner me. And i got to get rid of this stuff that I'm struggling with. Or this new season is not going to feel new to me. Maybe that's why, perhaps, David cut the head off of Goliath. Some of you have defeated giants. You thought they were dead. You thought they were gone. You walked away from that into a new season. And that giant reared its ugly head and started following you into the new season. I think David has said, I'm cutting your head off. You can't rear that head up on me. Pruning issues. And people get uncomfortable when I talk about this next one. But, but this is the other thing God loves to prune. Is he loves to prune individuals. He just does. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. So he doesn't even say fools suffer harm. He says, if you hang out with fools, you suffer harm. In fact, Paul would say it this way, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. So you've got to start hanging around people. That's why we promote life groups, life groups, life groups, life groups, life groups, life groups, life groups. You need to get in a group. You need to get in a group. Well, I don't know. You need to get in a group. That's just not. You need to get in a group. I heard this at, at Grow Conference a couple of weeks ago. The first problem in the Bible was not sin. The first problem was not sin. It was solidarity. Think about Genesis 3. Eve sinned. Adam sinned. Genesis 2.18. God said it is not good for man to be alone. So before there was sin, there was solidarity, and God said, this isn't good. 
Man is not supposed to be by himself. You need to get in a group. There's accountability, a sense of belonging, prayer, next steps. There's all these gr- account. There's just so many great things that happen in a life group. Please, 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 please get in a group. Get in a group. So pruning issues, pruning individuals, and the last thing he loves to prune or purge is your attitudes. And notice the text says that they might see war and go back to Egypt. He says that these... These Israelites have been slaves for hundreds of years. So they're thinking like slaves, they're not thinking like soldiers. So they're going to see war and they're going to turn and run. And a lot of times you can be out of Egypt, but Egypt is not out of you. And so that's why God spends so much time in the Holy Word telling you who you are. You're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. I want to tell you who you are and who you were born to be, not who you think you are. Because we will always behave the way that we think we are. So if you think you're this way, well, you're going to behave this way. And so sometimes God has to rid us of attitudes because we've thought wrongly of ourselves. We still think of the old self, pre-Christ, before he made us new. When you look at Israel's experience, we can see a connection to ours. And I think it really answers this quintessential question that comes to dealing with seasons is, what do I do with surprise seasons? What do I do with a season that I didn't predict, I can't control, And I don't prefer. What do I do with that? Well, you manage it. You just got to manage the season. What does that mean for us? It means for us what it meant for Israel practically. When the seasons cannot be avoided, they must be managed. And how it is managed determines whether that season is prolonged or made permanent. Let me say that again. How you manage your season, your surprise season, you you didn't ask for determines whether it's prolonged or made permanent. So I'm going to give you a few ways to manage seasons like this. And this is really important because the season in itself is a surprise. But then we get surprises within the season that we weren't banking on either. It's exactly what happened to Israel. So they weren't expecting this season in the wilderness, in the desert. They didn't know that was coming. And they start getting hungry. They're like, hey, we want some bread. Lord, give us some bread. We want something to eat. So all of a sudden, Exodus chapter 16, the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Don't miss this. So they're in the middle of a surprise season. They start asking God for bread and God rains down this coriander seed that that was on the ground almost like dew. And they called it manna. Manna literally means what is it? They didn't know what it was. So it falls on the ground. They said, what is it? Manna, what is it? What is it? So they ask God for bread, and they wake up, and they have this coriander seed-like substance all over the ground. Manna, what is it? God, I asked you for bread. What is this? God, I asked you for strength. What is this? God, I asked you for blessing. What is this? God, I asked you for wisdom. What is this? God, I asked you for more. What is this? I believe manna represents three things. Manna represents all the times when God's performance doesn't match your expectation. So they asked for bread, and I guess they thought they were getting pumpernickel with honey butter. I don't know what they were thinking, but it just didn't show up like they thought. The Bible says they saw something on the ground that looked so different from what they were anticipating that their head didn't recognize that God was answering their prayer. He just answered their prayer in a form that was different from what they expected. Some biblical historians say that Israel would take that manna and they would grind it and create a grain and they would use the grain to make bread. Let me say that again. 
Some biblical historians say that they take this manna that came down every morning, they would grind it, they would make a grain, they would use that grain to make bread. Listen to me, God's provision sometimes comes in the form of a project. And I don't know who that's for, but some of you need to get grinding because God's given you what you need. You just got to work it a little bit because God's going to use that thing to be the very blessing in your life. Manna, what is it? What is it? Here's the second thing manna is. Manna represents all the times when God supernaturally suffocates your supply. And he will. This is what's interesting about manna. Manna would come down every morning. And after 24 hours, it would spoil or rot. And so some people would like store extra manna and they would wake up the next morning and there's maggots inside. They'd have to pour it out. And what it was teaching them, it was teaching them to be completely and totally dependent on God every single day. Except for the Sabbath, the, the night before the Sabbath, they would get some that would last through the Sabbath. But every single day I have to wake up and I have to go depend on God to give me what I need for that day. And God supernaturally suffocated their supply. And every day you're going to have, you're going to have things in your season that God's going to suffocate. And here's what he's trying to teach you. He says, hey, I want you to look to me for this. Because the things that you're begging for and asking for and pleading for in the wilderness, you're going to have an overabundance of in Canaan. Canaan is agriculturally rich. It's flowing with milk and honey. And he goes, I don't want you to get to that point and have everything at your disposal and forget the source from where it all came from. I don't want you to get the grapes and forget about God. How many of us have ever done that in our lives? We got the grapes and then we forget where it came from. Oh God, thank you. All good gifts come from you. I completely forgot. And so he's trying to teach them dependence on me. I'm your source of all good things. So when you finally get to the promised land, you'll remember where all the good things came from in the beginning. And there's some of you here today, I think, that have forgotten that. And he's like, I, I was with you in the midnight hour, counseling you and consoling you and coaching you, teaching and training you. You not remember? I was with you in those dark, hard valleys. I was your source, and we got to depend and rely on him. When he supernaturally suffocates your supply, he's teaching you total dependence. And number three, manna represents seasonal supply. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the Old Testament. I'm just going to show you the first part of the scripture but it says this, and the manna ceased. In other words, it was just for a season. It was temporary. God's like, this is my temporary provision that I'm making until I provide a way that's more permanent. Now, the Israelites should have expressed gratitude for the manna. But they totally missed the miracle because they were trying to look for another miracle. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we get so focused on looking for God to answer something and give us a miracle that he goes, I've got miracles all around you. You're experiencing right now in this moment. And God's greatest critique of Israel was their unappreciation for his benevolence and his generosity in their lives. He goes, I'm doing all these things. You've got a pillar of fire that's following you at night to keep you warm. You've got a pillar of cloud that's following you in the day to keep you cool. I had water come from a rock. I'm raining down breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What more do you want from me? I want to tell you I love you, I'm for you, I'm not leaving you, I'm not forsaking you. And yet they continue to not have gratitude and grumble. And what's a proper response to miracles? It is appreciation. And the word we use for that in a Christian context is praise. We should praise him. It's, 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 not, it's not a noise, it's, it's this organic, automatic response of just saying, God, you're so good. I recognize all the manna comes from you. I'm so grateful for who you are. 
And I'm going to praise you in expectation for what you're going to do. Listen, in the midst of a pandemic, yes, we've lost a lot. We're going through a lot. I just don't want you to be infected with entitlement. I'm done. Israel, Israel mismanaged their season. They mismanaged it. And as a result, they had to wander in the desert, the wilderness, for 40 years. That wasn't the plan. 40 years. This is the word that's on my heart. Just because you're surprised with the season that you're in does not mean you're not prepared. Just because you're surprised with the season that you're in does not mean you're not ready. I didn't see this coming, but you're ready. I had no idea. It's okay. God, why? I prepared you. I was caught off guard. I don't prefer this. I wouldn't have picked this. God's saying, but you're ready for this. You know what happened when those plagues hit Egypt? God was getting him ready. You know what happened when the Red Sea was parted and the Israelites walked across on dry ground? He was getting them ready. And you have had, you have had seas split for you. He's getting you ready. Here's my last thought. It's hard for me, and I struggle with this practically. But when I think about it cognitively, it helps me. When I look at God's track record in my past, doubting him in my present is actually illogical. Let me say that again. When I look at God's track record in my past, doubting him in my present actually is illogical. You would think that faith is illogical, but when I look at God's faithfulness in my life, then doubt is actually the illogical choice. I just got to trust him. I got to trust him. God, you're good. (laughs) And I don't understand, and I can't tell you how true this is in my own life right now as I'm preaching this. I'm just going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust you, God. There hasn't been a time he hadn't come through. Now, sometimes he'll give me something and I'll go, man, what's this? <laughs> it's not what I prayed for. He goes, but it's, it's the provision. And if he didn't give you what you thought you needed, he'll give you the ability to live without it. I didn't see that coming. But he'll have you ready when it comes your way. Let me pray for you. There's some of you here today that have been knocked off your feet. You caught off guard. I'm just telling you, just because you're surprised doesn't mean you're not prepared. And I don't, I don't think we need more revelation today. I think we just need some supernatural resilience. And so that's what I'm going to pray for. I'm going to pray for a divine deposit of that. Lord, I pray for everybody who can hear the sound of my voice. For supernatural resilience. I pray for strength beyond our own. I pray for a steadfastness that is beyond our human capability. I pray you would strengthen us and we might be strong in the Lord. And I give you praise right now that the weak are being made strong. We receive that in the name of the Jesus that saved our life. By which all this is possible. Amen. I got a couple minutes. So I'm going to share with you the greatest thing I could possibly share with you in this moment. And that is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are some of you here today that have never put your faith in him. 
There's nothing greater. Nothing greater. But I need to tell you that you have to be in a relationship with him. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says to some people, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? These people sound like Christians. They're doing miracles in Jesus' name. And he will tell them plainly, the verse continues, depart from me, evildoer, I never knew you. And the word knew there in the Greek is the word gnosko. He really wants them to know him. You know there's a difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone, right? Years ago, I went to a UFC fight. I love, I love people hitting each other in the face. <laughs> I'm a sinner. And uh, my wife and I went to Vegas to see a fight, and she didn't want to go to the fight, so she went and watched Twilight. That's how long ago this was, and she's just as big a sinner. I think vampires are worse than fighters. And I'm at the fight, and I had a single seat. And so I got a really good seat because nobody sits by themselves. And like Jim Kelly, quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, sat right in front of me. Forrest Griffin, another fighter, sat right here. Dana White, president of UFC, sat right down here. And just down the road from me is Hulk Hogan. I love Hulk Hogan. I grew up watching wrestling. I can tell you how many world titles he has. I can tell you who he fought in WrestleMania. One, two, three, four, five, six. I know how to eat my vitamins and say my prayers. Anybody, you know what I'm saying? Anybody with me? I know Hulk Hogan. So I'm flipping out a little bit, and I wanted to go meet him. And so I just went over to him. I said, hey, brother. I thought that was funny. And he did not think it was funny. And I said, can I take a picture with you? And he was gracious, and he let me take a picture. This is before we perfected selfies, and you could do the backward selfie where you could actually see your face when you're taking it. And so I took it, I cut off our heads. So then I had to go back to him and go, can I take one more selfie? It was so embarrassing. <laughs> now, if you saw Hulk Hogan today, and you said, hey, Pastor Reed, he was at our church this Sunday. He would probably be kind to you and say, oh, yeah, tell him I said hi. He has no idea who I am. I don't know Hulk Hogan. I know a lot about Hulk Hogan. You cannot know a lot about God and get into heaven. You've got to know God. You've got to know God. You've got to know God. And so, I would love to pray for you. And I'd love for everybody to bow their heads and everybody to close their eyes. Just humor me for a moment. And if that is you, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you saying, you don't know me. You can start that relationship right now, today. And so what I'd love for you to do is I'd love for you to pray this prayer with me. The Bible says... If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. I'd love for salvation to happen all over this room today. Let me pray for you. Just pray this with me. Just say it over your breath. Just mean it is the only real thing. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins. I know you died on the cross for me. You gave your life for me. And so today I'm giving my life to you. Come into this life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. You're in control. I'm sliding over to the passenger seat. You're driving from this day forward. Lead me. Guide me. Direct me into an everlasting life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give some praise to God for the people who've trusted Christ. That's awesome! Yeah!
<laughs> hey, listen, I love you. My time is up. I hope that you will come hug my neck because I miss so many of you. I know some of you are new. You have found a great place to plug in. This is the best house in Austin, Texas, no doubt about it. Um, let me pray for you one more time and then we'll uh, dismiss you to a great Sunday. Lord Jesus, thank you again. We thank you. We praise you for the surprise seasons. We don't like them sometimes. We can't predict them always. But we know you're working in the midst of them. And all things, even those things, you're working for the good of those who love you, who have been called according to your purpose. So we're just asking that you'd help us to see the good in the midst of the surprise. Lord, we love you. We ask you to be with us as we depart this place. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. God bless you. CLA, I love you very much. <laughs>